Well, I'm so excited to be in 1 Samuel chapter 29 today. There's a really cool concept I want you to know about. It says in verse 1, The Philistines gathered together all the armies at Aphek, we've been there before, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords, like the mayors of the Philistines, passed in review by the hundreds and by the thousands. These are like mayors or military generals. But David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish the king. Then the princes or generals of the Philistines said, hey, hey, what are these Hebrews doing here? Now let me set the stage. Now to do that, I wanna take you on location. We're gonna leave Horizon and we're gonna head over to Israel to remind you of this location in Aphek. Now, as we head over, remember David was told as he's being chased by Saul, stay in Judah, but he's worn out. He's worn out and now he finds himself with the king of Achish, the king of the Philistines, heading to this area today that has a giant castle. This is Aphek. And there's about to be a bloody battle here between the Philistines who are about to fight against the Israelites. And David, somehow in the last couple chapters, the last couple months and years, is working for the Philistines. And as the generals are coming out in this location, they're finding themselves wondering why a Hebrew giant killer of the Philistines is at the bad back of the ranks. And they don't feel particularly safe. And they're asking the big question, what is that Hebrew doing here? So picture yourself in Aphek. The battle's about to begin between the Philistines and the Israelites. And somehow David is in the chain of command toward the back to help the Philistines crush the Israelites. And all of a sudden, he's going to feel like his integrity is being questioned. Because the, the generals of the Philistines are like, what's that guy doing here? Right? Well, I think there's a lot of times in our life that people question our integrity. And in one sense, when I first prepared this message, I prepared it with how you and I could respond when other people question our integrity. Because I thought that's what this chapter was about. Turns out it's not. This chapter is about something very, very different. I remember early in my first career, my first big job, full-time job, I had two kind of power brokers on the board who didn't like what I was doing. I was a youth pastor at the time. And I remember sitting down and they laid out notebook page after notebook page of all the things I was doing wrong. I hadn't been there long enough that there was that many things I'd done at all. And I remember just feeling the, the questions and I remember feeling the interrogation and my motives just being turned upside down. But God used that time in my life to draw me closer to, hear, to him, to really build up my integrity and realize that God was my refuge even when I was under attack from good godly people. But I never stopped to ask the most important question. It's a question we're gonna look at today. It's the question that the Philistines were asking King Achish, but David wasn't asking himself. What 
am I doing here? How did I get into this situation? What are the steps? What are the mistakes? What are the pathways I took that led me to this place? Often we're so busy trying to accomplish and get there that we don't ask ourselves if we should be there. Let's ask the question that the princes of the Philistines were able to ask that David should have been asking himself. What am I doing here? We're going to get four turning points in David's life here in the passage. Let's look at the passage together. We begin in chapter 29 just after they've gathered together in Aphek. And what happens next? Achish, this is the king of the Philistines, said to the princes of the Philistines, think of them as the generals or the mayors. Is this not David, guys? What are you so worried about? Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel? Like this isn't making them feel better, right? But he goes on, who has been with me these days or these years? Now don't miss that. Whatever's happened in the last couple chapters, David has been serving the king of the Philistines for years. However he's gotten off track, it has lasted a while. And he's now served the king so well, the king Achish of the Philistines is bragging on him to the generals. Come on, guys, don't worry about it. Sure, he's in the back. Sure, he killed off Goliath years ago. Don't worry about it. I'll vouch for him. Look, he says, I, the king of the Philistines, have found no fault in him since he defected to me. Hmm. Now David's pretty angry, as you'll see in a moment, that people are questioning his integrity and questioning his motives. But thank goodness the king of the Philistines is actually standing up for him and saying, he's been doing great so far. Now here is Gath. Remember, the Philistines had several different cities. If we go back to the early chapters, they moved the ark after they captured it with Dagon to five different cities. But it ended in Gath. So that's the first time we came across Gath here in the passage. The next time we came across Gath was when we learned that Goliath was from Gath. This was a mighty city. But here is where David found himself in Gath. Israel is a long way away. Judah is a long way away. If you remember, when David was trying to escape from King Saul, the prophet Gad said, God's going to protect you, but stay in Judah. Don't go to the Philistine territory. So clearly, David is out of God's will. I think here's the question we want to ask ourselves. This is the first turning point that could have helped David. Are the wrong people complimenting me? What do I mean by that? Well, the king of the Philistines is saying to David, you're a good guy. I think often we might be getting lots of accolades, lots of appreciation, lots of encouragement. But have we ever stopped to ask the question, what am I doing here that those people are complimenting me? Am I getting compliments from people who are important in my life but maybe shouldn't be? And am I missing on the compliments that should be coming from God, my family, my kids, 
or my spouse. A turning point is pausing long enough to say, who's complimenting me these days and whose appreciation or compliments am I living for? So that's our first turning point. It kind of ducktails into the second, back to the text. But the princes of the Philistines were angry. Why? With the king. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, hey, make that fellow return. He's not going to battle with us. That he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him. Send him back to that Tel Gath, that big hill where the Philistine city was. Do not let him go down with us to battle. I'm sure he's killed plenty of people. He's at the back of the stack. He's going to kill us when we get squished between his 400 mercenaries and the Israelites. Lest in battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master if not with the heads of these men? Now notice a couple things here. He says, okay, maybe he did defect. But how could, what better way to reconcile himself to King Saul, his master, than to have killed us off from the back of the battlefield. See what they're saying? And what they're saying is, this guy's got two masters. You, King Achish, think he's serving you as his master, but we think he's trying to reconcile with his old master, King Saul. Right? So let me show you where they're at. On a map, Israel, David's been down here by the Dead Sea, He's been in the wilderness of Maon, the wilderness of Ziph, and he was supposed to stay in Judah, but he went all the way over here to the Philistine country, here in Gath. The Philistines have assembled and they're making their way to Aphek to fight against Israel. And in this location is where the battle's about to come, but before the battle, there's this conflict where the generals are questioning his integrity and saying, send him back to Gath. We don't want him here in Aphek. Which brings us to the next question the next potential turning point. Do others see dual masters in my life? What do I mean by that? Jesus said it this way, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't have two masters. You can't say I want God's appreciation, but I'm willing to sell it out for other people's appreciation even if I make compromises. Ultimately, you'll have to have one master to serve. The Bible calls these masters idols. Are other people recognizing in you that you've taken a good thing, your family, your reputation, money, your title, your politics? Have you made them more important than God? And if so, you're gonna be dual-minded. And often it's easy for other people to say, what are you doing here? than for you to say to yourself, what am I doing here trying to serve two masters? In fact, I heard a story in USA Today on this very thing uh, recently. It was actually Cameron Diaz. Remember she used to be in all those movies? So she had fame, she had popularity. She served the master of our culture. And do you think that brought her happiness and joy? Look how she describes serving the master of fame. When you're making a movie, they own you. You're there 12 hours a day for months on end. You have no time for anything else. And I realized that I kept handing off 
parts of myself to these other people. They took it. And I had to basically take it back and take responsibility for my own life. Actors are treated like infants. Overwhelmingly, your life just becomes so narrow. Everybody's doing things for you. You're catered around. And I never really felt truly comfortable with that. It wasn't my comfort zone to be taken care of. Now, one sense you might say, oh, must be rough being rich and famous and having all that fame. See, there's the trick. When you don't have that master, you assume that master would make you free and filled with joy. But what is she saying? You put any master or idol in your life, it takes control. You got to serve it fully. You serve work, you sacrifice your hobbies, you sacrifice your marriage. You put all the weight on your idol being your marriage, you'll crush your marriage because it can't sustain the weight of your full identity. And you will narrow the scope of your life that your life is solely about that particular master. And other people might say, hey, I'm kind of worried about you. But often it takes other people to speak into our life, our masters, because we can't see it ourselves. In fact, when I was a kid, I did lots of magic. I still do magic occasionally. One of my favorite tricks I don't own anymore, but it's a similar idea. There was a, uh, a cylinder that fits inside of another cylinder. And it reminded me a little bit of how David is not able to see what's right in front of him and how King Achish, why can't King Achish see that David's a problem at the rear of the pack? Why can't David see it's a problem? He's serving the king of the Philistines. Well, we were doing a grand opening at my first church And I had this trick where I would take these golden scarves and I'd twist them together and make three little goldfish. Then I would take the cylinder, I'd smash it down, pull it back up, and they would turn into three live goldfish. It was a very, very hectic day because it was our grand opening. So I took those cylinders and I stuck them back in my office. Well, about a week went by and a month went by. In our brand new building, new people coming in every day, and there was this stench, this horrible stench. And we're all looking around trying to find it. Does somebody leave something in a microwave? Is it something that the contractors left around the place? We couldn't get rid of the stench. And I'm starting to get mad at facilities. Why aren't you fixing this? Why can't you hear the stench? It's horrible working in these conditions. What's wrong with this place, right? You ever done that? It's easy to criticize other people. What's wrong with them, what they should be doing? And you don't see what's obvious in your own life, what everyone else can see. So about a month later, I walk into my office and I had shoved these two cylinders behind my door so I didn't see them. I opened up the door and sure enough, there was a hidden compartment inside of the one cylinder that held the fish. And these three goldfish were long dead. And the stench I'd criticized other people for not fixing was the stench in my life and in my office. I was the stink. David's got to realize the stench in his life needs to be dealt with. He thinks other people are questioning his integrity, but really he's got a problem. He's in rebellion before God. So let's go back to the text. So what happens here with David and his men? He can't see the stench of the masters in his life. They say, hello, look at the evidence, King Achish. Why can you not smell this? 
is this not David of whom they sang songs about that made it here to the Philistines? Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, Whew, surely as the Lord lives, you've been upright. You're going out and you're coming in with me. If the army has been good in my sight, for to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Which is kind of nice, right, to have your boss say you're a person of integrity, you're loyal, you get the job done. These are like all the things King Saul didn't say. However, he's serving the king of the Philistines. And the king's kind of like, well, listen, um, I would keep you, but all my generals are going to mutiny, so you're going to have to head back home, right? So that's the circumstance here. What happens next? Therefore, the king says, return now and go in peace, nothing personal between us, that you may not displease the lords, the generals, the mayors of the Philistines. Now, how is David going to react? What am I doing fighting the Israelites? Uh, Yeah, this doesn't make any sense. David's offended. He's ticked off. David said to Achish, but what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I've been with you? I got a great track record here. That I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king. And look at this. He wants to fight the enemies of the king. But the enemies of the king is his people. Do you see how messed up his thinking has been? That's what happens when you serve the wrong master. You live for fame. You live for likes. You live for other people's approval and things that used to be your enemy become your friends and people that were your friends, priorities that should be your friends become your enemies. Things get turned upside down when you serve the wrong master. Now, David has a turning point here. A question he should be asking himself, what am I doing here? Here's the mountain of Gath. I'm serving Philistines. Here's the mountain of Jerusalem with Israel. Why am I making friends and enemies of my friends? Well, let's continue on the text. Now it happened that when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag. They attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire. As you remember, he's been living in Ziglag. It's been like his hometown. And when he went to fight the Israelites, the Amalekites came back to crush his hometown where his family is. They burned it with fire and taken captive the women and those who were there. From small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away, and they went their way. So what's happening here? David used to pretend that he was killing off Israelites down in the Amalekite country. He was really killing off the Amalekites, the enemies of Israel. But he'd come back and and word it in such a way to King Achish, that King Achish thought he was killing Amalekites, and some of the Israelites on that portion of the map. So David has been deceiving the king for a while. 
David didn't want to kill off his, his fellow Israelites, but he had to give the impression he was for the last couple years. So now all of this deception is coming to bear. And while he is off with his men fighting battles for the Philistines, he left his own family unguarded. Now here's the map. The Amalekites are down in this territory. And David used to run some mercenary runs from Ziglag, where he was staying, down here for the king of the Philistines. Which made him think he was picking up some of the southern country of Judah, some of the Israelites. But he's really just killing off Amalekites. So now when he left Gath to go and fight with the king, he left his family here in Ziglag unguarded. And the Amalekites took this moment to come and burn that city and kidnap his family and take him down to the Amalekite village. Now David is coming face to face with another turning point. This is a tell in the Amalekite territory. This is probably where their city was that the Amalekites took, captured, and kidnapped all of David's men, these mercenaries, these warriors, wives, and children. So David and his men came to the city. And there it was in the rubble and the burn, burning with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. And they wept until they had no more power to weep. David should have been weeping a long time ago. And often instead of asking the question, what am I doing here? God, why am I so off track? God, I'm a broken person, lying and deceiving and doing the wrong things. Instead of being broken over our brokenness, often it's not until we feel the full weight of the full consequences of our actions. It's now it's hit home. I've now got to deal with my own selfishness, my own idols because my spouse said they want a divorce. My kids don't talk to me. Uh, somebody found out about that secret bank account or all the overspending I've been doing. It's often we have to come face to face with the consequences of our full actions before we finally weep and break. As you look back over this chapter, it's been like 16 months since David has really prayed or sought God. 16 months. But he doesn't even realize it. And now he's got all his men having lost all their families pouring out their tears till they can't cry anymore. And David's two wives, another reminder, David's had like four or five at this point. David's just outside of God's will, and I think that's why Samuel includes this here. Aniam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed. They've captured my wife. It's affecting my family. But more than that, for the people, the mercenaries he serves, his top warriors, spoke of stoning him. We're going to kill David. What in the world have we been doing serving the Philistines? What in the world has he done getting us into this? The people around him are going to stone him. And that's what changes his outlook. Because the soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughter. So we tell ourselves a lie the whole time we're serving a different master. What do we tell ourselves? 
we say, I'm not hurting anyone. It just affects me. But our deception, our lies, our compromises never affect just us. And people we love, people we care about end up getting hurt. And David's going to have to realize that his decisions, his compromises, his flat-out lying has not only hurt him, but now it's hurt everyone he cares about, and they're about to kill him. Will this be his turning point? Well, that's the question. Has my past caught up with me? We all have secrets. And if we're not regularly bringing those secrets before God and confessing, finding forgiveness, finding his leadership in our life, those secrets are going to grow. And secrets seduce us. Secret sins grow behind the scenes. And they grow and we think we can manage them and manage them and manage them. And then the past catches up and it blows up around us. But this is the first time in 16 months that David finally realizes I need to repent. I am out of God's will. Are you at that place? What does it look like to repent? What does it look like to put ourselves back in God's will? I was working on this passage about a year ago as I've been studying through the Bible. And as I was first studying this passage, I really felt like this was a chapter I could teach you and myself and hear God's voice speak to me about how to respond when people question my motives. In fact, I was working on this message and I got it all done. As I finished this message and I looked at it and I said, it was a great message. By the way, I was taking notes on myself. It was really good stuff. And I was like, something's wrong here. I thought this was a chapter about how to respond when people question your motives, like David clearly felt, and I felt the Holy Spirit saying something to me. It's that same question that the mayors and the lords of the Philistines asked. As I was sitting around my Bible, reading this chapter, finishing the message up, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, what is David doing here? And that's when I began to go, oh man. He, he thinks his integrity is being questioned, but David's in sin. It just reminded me that many times you'll come across people in your life and they're going to challenge you when you're just trying to speak truth in their life. And it might be that it's not that their integrity is really questioned, it's really a smokescreen for the fact they don't want to admit they're out of God's will. David hasn't talked to God in 16 months. He hasn't sought God for 16 months. He left Judah, like the prophet Gad told him, ended up in the Philistine territory. He's serving the king of the Philistines. I mean, all the evidence around him, and yet he can't see it. I remember several years ago, I was talking to uh, a guy who had really gotten himself in trouble. In fact, often when I share these stories, I'll get permission to tell the story, or sometimes I'll get permission, I'll change some of the details and push some different stories together because I don't want to uh, dishonor people's confidentiality, but I also think it's important to hear real stories of real people. So this is a couple stories I'll squish together here for you. And 
when this friend came to me, he said, oh my goodness, Chad, I've been having an affair. My spouse found out about it. And what's worse is I got my mistress pregnant. So we started talking a little bit there, and I'm like, wow, how can I help? And wow, this thing's really tough, and I want to be there for you in the midst of this. And, and all of a sudden, I asked him a question. I said, can I ask you something? He said, sure. I said, if you hadn't got her pregnant, do you think we'd be having this conversation right now? How dare you? Of course I would. I'm, I'm trying to get things right. I'm trying to fix things. And my guess, I thought he was going to punch me. I was in a car with him at the time, and I thought he was going to punch me in the face. Simply because I asked him, do you think you'd really be admitting what you've done and that it's wrong? It's been going on for weeks or months, maybe even a year, if you hadn't got her pregnant. He's like, that is a life in that womb. I care about that child. How dare you ask that of me? And I'm like on the other side of the car, like I'm about to get punched. But I had enough courage to say, listen, buddy. I don't believe you. I don't think if you hadn't got her pregnant, you would be here at all. I think you are sorry you got caught. I do not think you're sorry that you really did it. I'm kind of bracing for getting punched again. He was able to hear that. Natea, the story continued over the next couple of years, and I saw him get therapy, marriage therapy personal therapy. I saw him get right with God. I saw him investigate things in his past that led him to make these decisions. And he is one of the most incredible stories I've ever seen of God's grace. Healing a marriage, opening his eyes to his unbrokenness. Even came back to me and said, I was so mad at you. I thought, how dare you question my integrity? And all you were trying to do was call my bluff. Like, well, I care about you. You know, as pastors, we often get front row seats to people's self-deception. And we love you. And we think we're as capable, I think I'm as capable of anything that you've ever given into, any secret you have. I know I need God. And I need truth. And I need people speaking truth into my life. And sometimes you're not going to get that on your own. Like David, you're going to convince yourself and talk yourself into anything. We need people to speak into our life. That's what David does. You won't find this actually in chapter 29. You've got to jump a few verses later to chapter 30. Because remember I told you it's been 16 months since David sought God? Well, we jump down to chapter 30, verse 6. Something amazing happens. He's scared to death, right? Because his men are going to kill him for good reason. It says in verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But, here's the but, here's what we need. Before we crash and burn, before we get to those turning points, if you're already at those turning points, this is the secret to returning to God. But, David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Now don't miss that. David, after years of not doing it, after months of not doing it, strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Wherever you are, whatever secrets are small and behind the scenes, whatever secrets have come out recently, 
strengthen yourself in the Lord. And you're going to find a God who's faithful even when we are faithless. He's going to come alongside and say, that's why I died on the cross. I'm not surprised you've done this. My grace is sufficient for you. I love you too much for you not to get caught. Come out into the light. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Maybe that means confession for you. Maybe you've never had a habit of daily coming before God and saying, God, speak to me. Where am I off track? Have friends become friends who shouldn't be friends and have enemies become friends who shouldn't be? God, will you show me where I'm being blind? Will you speak to my heart? Maybe for you, strengthening yourself in the Lord means reaching out and saying, I need to get into a Bible study. I want to join that men's group. I've got to have other people who will be honest about their secrets and their stories and maybe I can stumble into being secret and open about my secrets and my stories. That's why we do what we do as a church. The reason we do small groups is not just because it's the thing to do. We are wayward people. We need people to come into our life and help us open our eyes to see the truth. As a church, we're trying to comfortably connect you to God and his grace and to find a, a God through Jesus who not just died for you, but also leads us. And he leads us to a place that we can daily strengthen ourselves in the Lord. That's exactly what God wants to do for you. In fact, can I pray for you, wherever you're at, that you would experience God's grace, that you would take the next step of confession or prayer or personal Bible study or just getting into a group to help pursue God wherever you are, no matter what you've done. Let's pray together. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for not pausing enough to ask, what am I doing here? Forgive me for my dual masters. I want to serve you and you alone. Thank you for dying for those idols that I placed ahead of you. I invite you into my life I invite you to take control of the steering wheel of my life and lead my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I hope you are able to find God to be the God of grace that will strengthen you in your time of need.